Okay, let's start so that we can make the most of every minute. I'd like us just to pray. Father, thank you for your presence in our lives and your presence here with us today. And I just pray that uh, people will take away what's relevant for them and uh, discard what you don't want to speak to them about just yet. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really interesting, and it's part of how God dovetails things, isn't it, that some of the things I will say will repeat or, in different words, say the same as what other people have said. So as I've been listening this morning, I've made one or two notes, like, do you remember the bishop said that the man, as he did the piece and other people didn't, brought Jesus with him, Okay. I've also heard this afternoon about bringing the two together, and that is the mental health issues and our faith, and how do we bring those two together? Will talked about being an implicit witness. Whatever we say outwardly sometimes is irrelevant, because implicitly we have the life of Christ shining through us as well. And then uh, Jonathan said... People started talking to me. And you'll hear me include some of these things. And it's just the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Trying to emphasize some of the things that we need to hear today. So whatever's relevant for you, I want you to take that away. And if there's some things that aren't relevant, leave those. And if you go out with a couple of sentences, then that's good. We often go to big days like this and only take one or two little thoughts away, but they're the thoughts that God wants to plant in your heart. So what qualifies me to talk about Christian counselling? Well, I'm the chief executive of the Association of Christian Counsellors, and our organisation is a membership body for people who are Christian counsellors. And we are all Christians in our office, in our board, uh, whatever role people play within the organisation, we're Christians for Christians. So that's one reason why I'm here today. I've been invited as a speaker because I'm in this particular role. I've also done some basic counselling training. Now, you may be surprised to know that I am not a counsellor. And I'm going to talk to you about Christian counselling. But keep your ears open, there still might be things that are relevant to you. So I'm not a counsellor, but I'm from a social work uh, training and background. And um, during my training, we did a module, and counsellors amongst you will smile at this, because we did a whole module on everybody in counselling. So the whole world of counselling went by us, like an express train. But what it does is it gives you little thoughts and you think, I want to follow that up and I want to read about this. And so it set me on a journey of doing more personal reading and research. My big passion for counselling comes because I have been counselled. And some of the things we've heard today of people's stories and how people have been impacted by mental health issues, I can put my hand up and say... I have been there. And so I have a passion for counselling 
because I too have sat in that pit for a total of 13 and a half years in two separate periods, nine years of my life. God wonderfully did something in me and then later four and a half years, which um, came between my husband and I in a big way, almost ruined our marriage and God has been amazingly wonderful. So my passion for counselling is that I know it was very, very supportive for me. I know that that was part of what God used on my journey. It wasn't the whole story, but it was very supportive and very helpful. And so I like and enjoy sharing about counselling. When I was journeying, part of my counselling was with a secular uh, counsellor. And she was wonderful. We were together for 18 months, and I have um, a history of abuse. And I was an adult and fell apart and knew, after conversations with my sisters in particular, that the next thing for me was to um, go through the judicial process. And so the man who abused me uh, was taken to court and I saw him go to prison. Now that was a very difficult journey and that was with a secular counsellor. She was wonderful, she was supportive. She saw me through that process. She was able to point out for me, what if this happens and that doesn't happen? Have you thought this through? What about that? And she was really helpful. After about 18 months, I began to think there is a whole area of my life that I haven't spoken of yet and I want to speak of, but I don't know if she'll understand. Now, it's not that someone who is secularly trained can't deal with Christians and their issues. That's not what I'm saying. But because her experience and her worldview was not from a Christian viewpoint, I didn't think I could talk to her about the fact that I actually made a commitment as a child which became real to me as a young person and I was used to being in church, to praying, to reading my Bible and I wanted to say to somebody, but all of that's gone. I'm not praying anymore. I can't even pick a Bible up at times, let alone read it. And they were vital things in my life that I thought, who can I talk to about these sorts of things? And so I took a break from counselling and then um, God just sort of began to help me understand really that what I needed next was a Christian counsellor. And so I was able to find someone locally and we spent a lot of months together and then finally, my husband said, I believe we need to talk to someone together. And so she also helped us because one of her strengths is couple counselling. So that was really, really helpful. And so I was able at that point then to say the things that I couldn't say to Judy because I knew she would understand how important that was to me and how distressing it was to me and how guilty I felt that I wasn't this victorious Christian, that as a child in my denomination, I'd been brought up to think that living on the mountaintop is all that matters, sister. Hallelujah all the way. Whatever's going on in your life, just keep praising the Lord. 
And so I found a Christian counsellor that understood those things. In a small survey within ACC, um, and bearing in mind that all of our counsellors are Christians, one of the questions we asked was, why are you counselling? And there were two things that came out from that. Because I believe God has called me to this. Together with that, with something like my story about why I'm passionate and campaign for Christian counsellors, is because they had had adversity and they wanted to meet with other people, support them, help them. We read in Corinthians, and this has been a very joyful scripture when I first found this, because it's encouraging. If we've been through difficulties, they are not in vain. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You can be sure that the more we suffer, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So when we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your benefit. For when God comforts us, it is so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. And we are confident that as you share in suffering, you will also share God's comfort. That's in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Now, that doesn't mean to say, because I have had long-term depression and have a history, that I can say to, oh, I understand just how you feel. Do you know when it happened to me, and off I go, that is not helpful to someone, I tell you. If someone comes to me in that frame of mind when I'm on a low mood, I just don't want to hear it. In fact, when I was deeply depressed and had some of the things that we've heard today said, I felt like giving them a bunch of fives, I tell you. It was not helpful. The other reason that people went into counselling within ACC in our small survey was people began talking to me. And we've heard that said today, that some people just open up and the other person is able to listen to them. And I tell you, the importance of listening is just... Well, I can't give you words to describe it. When someone sat with me and just listened to me, I'd never had that sort of experience before. Because lots of people, they want to fix it for you. And, and well, have you tried this? And have you done that? And have you thought about? And, and all the things that, well, some of us who were in the antidepressant session this morning, well, I shouldn't take those. And so listening is vital. And people, if they begin to talk to you, you can do no greater thing than to listen. Sometimes we get afraid and think, well, what can I say? I've, I've never heard anything like this. And, and, you know, I haven't got this experience and, and I've never been put in this position before and, and I just don't know how to respond. 
it doesn't matter. Because I tell you from my experience, I wasn't looking for somebody to fix it because I knew it was too big for them to fix. But please, if somebody would listen, that would be really great. I remember many years ago, during my first period of depression, I tentatively tried the waters. And, and as a Christian, feeling the condemnation of being depressed, feeling guilty about being depressed because of my indoctrination of wrong stuff, I knew that I couldn't tell anybody. And I was really struggling with this. And at the time, uh, my husband and I were in church leadership too. And I thought, I'm going mad. Who can I talk to? I can't talk to anybody in the church. Surely pastor's wives don't go to psychiatrists. Who can I talk to? And I tentatively, tentatively put a toe in the water of trying to tell somebody I was less than well. So I touched on this big D subject and just tried to tell someone in our church that actually I was feeling really low and I thought, because I'd never experienced it before, I thought that this was depression. Oh, greater I would never have guessed. That's really not helpful. And so we get really unhelpful reactions sometimes. But if people begin to talk to you, that may be an indication. It may be a little nudge of the Holy Spirit for you to think, hmm, I wonder if God wants me to develop this as a skill for him. Okay, just spend a minute or so thinking about what's counselling. And the subsequent question, is there a difference? What's Christian counselling? 30 seconds to think about that. And then we'll just have a few responses from the floor. What's counselling and what's Christian counselling? And I'm not going to beat you down and say that's the wrong answer. Okay. Just one or two people then. If you raise your hand, there is a mic. What's counselling? And there may be some counsellors here that want to just give us a sentence on what counselling is. Does somebody at the back raise their hand? I'd say counselling is uh, helping somebody through an issue that they might have that they feel they can't get past um, and being a support to them, really. Okay, so, thank you. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yep. At the front here. No, the mic's on the way. <laughs> I trained as um, a counsellor, secular counsellor, and it's listening skills and paraphrasing and, like, you know, using listening skills, really, like head nodding and body language and that. And then um, Christian counselling is with God. That's what I would have said anyway. Ooh. Like, um, you can pray for the person, whereas with secular counselling, you can't. So we've got the support element coming in, and we've got some of the more technical skills there of listening and reflecting back. Yeah, they're, they're okay, they're fine, they're right. And Christian counselling, God's there as well. Now we're going to expand on that. So counselling, it's sometimes, in, my sister, my sister um, is a person that um, 
everybody has to hear her opinion. And we make a joke of it in the family. And um, she'll say, well, I might be wrong, but it hasn't been known yet. So we all have a, a little joke at her expense. But my sister said, oh, I wouldn't go to a counsellor for them to tell me what to do. Got completely the wrong end of the stick. But it might include some advice. It might include a, a little bit of suggestion. But every time, it's back to that person to then make the choices. There's nothing wrong in bringing some wisdom into a counselling session or bringing some advice into a counselling session as long as you're not imposing that on a person but they have the choice to do with it what they will. And so there is an element of that added to the support. So what's Christian counselling? Within our organisation, we work with training agencies who deliver Christian counselling. And that means for us that they have a Christian model on which they base their counselling training. Now, it's counselling training that has an awarding body behind it, a secular awarding body. So they've seen the criteria, they've seen the uh, Christian content and all the elements in our courses, and they validate them and say, these are to the educational levels of the first one is level two, the certificate is level three, the diploma is level four. So we have educational levels attached to our training. It's nothing amateurish. It's awarded the validation by secular awarding bodies as well as ACC as um, a Christian body that validates it for its Christian content. So we have Christian models of counselling. However, Christians who are counsellors use secular models too. So we're not outruling secular models and saying, well, they're no good, because we embrace those secular models and we take what we want from them in able to enhance our Christian model. So there's often a Christian core model that goes through those three stages, and then the trainers and the tutors will introduce secular models and people who have developed other models of counselling and some people will know those person-centred counselling cbt there's also christian cbt uh, gestalt and ta and egan and all these people who have developed models and our christian counselling will also not only uh, give you information about them but it embraces them as well and saying in this situation you could possibly use these skills from that model so, it can be a mixture, an integrative style of working. But we have a definition, and it focuses on what the counsellor brings, not purely the model. So, that's why we say Christians who are trained in a secular model can do counselling as a Christian because it's what they bring into that counselling room. And it's not only what they bring in their worldview and their understanding and their beliefs and values, but it's also who they bring. So it's that activity which seeks to help people towards constructive change and growth in any or every aspect of their lives through a caring relationship and within agreed relational boundaries. 
carried out by a counselor who has a Christian worldview, values, and assumptions. And that's what our organization define as Christian counseling. We have a strap line that as an organization, we want to be a catalyst for excellence in Christian care and counseling. And ACC were actually formed uh, partly because there was bad press, there were some healing ministries, there were uh, some practices that were not good, and there were a group, a nucleus of Christian counsellors in various churches across the UK that saw this and wanted to develop an organisation that would put Christian standards into counselling. So to bring a protective element, really, of we've read all of that that's going on, we know some of that that's going on, but it's not all bad. Within the Christian arena, we're not all cowboys, and they wanted standards, and that's why ACC was formed. And we want to continue to be a catalyst of excellence. I'm going to read something to you which you will all know and which I think was put in the scripture for counsellors. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. And we read about that in Isaiah and we know that Jesus fulfilled that. So when Isaiah spoke it, it was for... Israel then, but Jesus came as a fulfillment of that. But also, there's an application today. The scripture applies to us now as well, that God has sent people who can set captives free through his power that can minister to them, bring joy in their despair and beauty instead of all those ashes that lie around them. So we know what counselling is, what isn't it? <clears throat> My brother, uh, I'm from quite a big family, uh, there's five of us. My brother has had more than his fair share of very tragic things happening to him. Uh, and if I told you some of the things that had happened, you would wonder how he's still on two feet today. But he is. And it has been extremely tragic and traumatic and has had a lot of um, <clears throat> impact on his family. And their marriage has been affected by it, but they're still in there together and trying to encourage and support one another. Absolutely tragic. The number of things that have just come and knocked him. You think you're getting over one. And they're not just little blips, they're really serious things. And you wouldn't think that so many things could happen in one family. So we try and support him the best we can, you know, listening to him, 
telephoning, visiting, making sure they're okay, and we hear what's happened recently, and we hear where they're up to, and various things like that, giving him the support we can. It's so complex that he's on a waiting list for a counsellor that could support and help him. So that's the sort of dilemma. We were all at a family wedding. It was actually our son's, uh, our youngest son's wedding last summer. And uh, there was someone there who he hadn't seen for a number of years. And I believe it was somebody who he'd worked with. And he said, oh, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you for ages. How's things? And uh, my brother said, well, you know, it's, um, it's a bit grim at times, but I'm not doing so bad. And he said, oh, it can't be as bad as all that. And I thought, you just don't know what you have said. I know very few people that have had as many issues come to them as he has. And I tell you, mate, I felt like saying, it's as bad as it can get. So what it is not is comments like that. That does not help. There's a verse in Proverbs, and um, if it wasn't so serious, it would be laughable, really. And I forget what the verse is. Oh, yes, I know. There it is. <coughs> Singing cheerful songs <coughs> to a person whose heart is heavy is as bad as stealing someone's jacket in cold weather or rubbing salt in a wound. When I was a child, and this will probably show my age, and some of you may have known of this song, there was this awful song that we used to sing called Cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Somebody's nodding. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Remember, God is ever near, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you're worried at all tomorrow morning. I apologise that I've remembered it. I just think that is so, so dreadful that we would sing those sorts of things. And that gives you a flavour of the sort of stuff I was brought up with and why I was heaping guilt and condemnation upon myself when I first became depressed. So counselling isn't about saying, cheer up. It'll never happen. Have you heard that one? Oh, cheer up, it'll never happen. Because you may have a demeanour or some facial expressions or some body language that actually demonstrates that you're not feeling all that good today. And that's absolutely fine. But when somebody tells you to cheer up, that is not helpful. So that's not what counselling is. So why is Christian counselling distinct then? Because if we do use those opportunities sometimes when they come to impart some wisdom or some advice to a person in the counselling situation, they're based on Christian principles. That makes it distinct from secular counselling because they will have based their... They will bring what they believe, what their values are if they are not a Christian, and have based their understanding of counselling on all of that. Because we don't come to anything as a vacuum. We bring with us who we are, what we believe. And so when you're in a training session, being trained as a counsellor, 
You don't come with nothing in your head. You come with past experiences, with already set beliefs, which may be challenged, with a certain set of standards and values. And for Christians, we bring our Christian base and principles and values with us. And so when we're counseling, that makes us dis distinctive because we have this foundation, which is common to a lot of us here today, that we believe certain things in a Christian context. And so those Christian assumptions that we make of one another, like we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we believe that God is the creator and sustainer of life, all of those things that we bear, whatever denomination that we carry as a base, we then operate out of that. We can't break that off from us. We bring it with us. We can't separate it out. And I don't know about you, but neither would we want to, because that's part now of who we are. So our worldview then is that God is sovereign. Our worldview that he's creator and sustainer. He gives meaning to life. And that the ultimate answer to any question is found in him. We believe all of those things. And there's also an acknowledgement of evil and strongholds too. And we bring that with us. Our values as a Christian are about preciousness of each individual, about respecting, and secular counsellors bring that too. We have an ethical stance, and secular counsellors have an ethical stance too, but ours may be a little different because we're Christians. And there's a whole big area that some secular counsellors don't even want to address and that's forgiveness. And as counsellors and as Christian counsellors, we cannot forget about forgiveness. Now, if someone had have told me, as a first off, you're coming into this counselling arena, you've told me your story, now, first of all, before we go any further, you must forgive that man, that would not have been helpful. That would not have been helpful. And counsellors as Christians will not push that with anybody. But there is a time when it needs to be brought into the open and talked about and left with the client to make the decision about what they do. And there's a timing for forgiveness. And it may take years. For some people, it may be shorter than that. But God, in his infinite wisdom, He's able to wait your time. He's not in time. He's in eternity. And one day to the next and one year to the next actually doesn't matter a great deal to him. He can wait. There was one guy that we used to know that used to say to his wife, who was Winnie, Winnie, God hasn't got a clock like you. You should pray about certain things and be thinking, when's God going to do this? And God hasn't got a clock or a calendar like we have. And if it takes time to get to that place of forgiveness, that's okay. But at some point, God will bring you to that area and to that challenge of you need to forgive. And when it's God's timing and God's speaking to you, he will give you the capacity 
to forgive. It will not be imposed by man. It will not be imposed, or it should not be imposed, by a counsellor, even a Christian counsellor. They may raise it, they may want to explore it with you, but they will not impose it. My story of forgiveness is very powerful. <clears throat> I was a person that I used to call my plastic self. And it's like um, a doll, really. You know they've got a plastic veneer on their face. And whatever you do to that doll, they're always like this because they're plastic and they can do no other. And I was like that. I was in nursing was my first profession. And one of the men who I nursed long term, he'd bought me a gift and he wanted to identify me. And part of his condition was because he'd had a stroke, there were some things he couldn't remember, and one of them was my name. And he said to a colleague of mine, you know who I mean, that nurse who's always smiling. And it was a veneer, because there was such trauma underneath. When I was journeying through the awful pit I was journeying, I met one of my teachers who knew me when I was eight, nine, ten-ish that sort of age. And I wanted to know, I was on that part of, why didn't somebody know what was going on in my life? Why was I not showing any symptoms? Why didn't anybody step in? And all these questions. And um, I met her, and we began talking, and uh, I didn't tell her about my depression or my history of abuse or anything like that, but I just said to her, what do you remember about me when I was in school? And she said, just like you are now, always smiling. So, I had this plastic veneer that the world wasn't get, going to get to me because I was smiling myself. Through this, everything was all right. And I honestly thought it was all right until God began to stir things and bring things up. And one of the things God started to do when I began to understand what all of this depression was about, he spoke to me quite early on about forgiveness. Someone handed me a book and said, Greta, I'd like you to read this. And she was a person who I respected, a person who I had spent regular time with praying. And we had a little triplet and she was in the triplet. And she gave me a book. And I know the title of the book, and I know the, the, the author of the book, but I don't know anything else about what it was about, except that God spoke to me and said, you must forgive that man. And I thought, that's really unreasonable, God. That's just a bridge too far. I don't want to do it. You know that sort of feeling. Little girl having a tantrum. And I can't do it is the next thing. Not only do I not want to do it, I can't possibly do it. And God just kept, um, you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to forgive. So I'd got this plastic front on. I was always smiling. I was this person that was very patient with the patients at work. And then when I got home, I sort of went, ah! that sort of thing to my husband. And, but mostly, I was on an even keel. And then, every now and again, it wasn't just a little ah I went up to the ceiling. 
It could have been anything that sparked it, but there was this whole well of anger that suddenly came up. I wouldn't understand it. I wouldn't know what it was about. Then once I was back down, that would be fine. Keep going like that again. Consistent, consistent. We have a dog, um, but the, our previous dog, the poor little thing, her legs were almost down to her knees because between the two of us, Ian and I, when we were journeying, uh, we always used to go out of the house with the dog as a bit of an escape. And I was crying again, and I thought, oh, I can't let him see me again. So off I went with the dog, and we were walking along the canal. And I was troubled by this anger. And I said to God, angrily, you know I shouldn't be angry like this. I'm a Christian, and this is not right, and you can take it away from me, and yet you don't, and I've asked you about this before, and another one of these experiences of stamping my feet with God. And so I was trying to deal with the anger, trying to understand what the anger was all about, and then God comes and says, I need you to forgive. So that created more anger. And it was just a whole journey of discovery and confusion and turmoil and darkness. But I had to forgive. So the, the person that um, gave me the book, I just told her a little about this is what's happened when I was a child and a young person, and God has told me I need to forgive. And I want you to be part of that, because in here I felt if someone doesn't witness this, then it's not real. So I, I please want you to sit with me and witness it. And so we sat together in her home. She was in one chair, I was in the other, and I was holding on to the arms of this chair and words would not come. And we sat in silence. And the Holy Spirit just prompted her from saying anything. And she was patient. And I don't know how long we sat there, but they were the most difficult words I have ever spoken out loud. It was the first time I forgave that man but I had to do it many times after. But it was at a very um, extremely deep level at which God had to say, you need to forgive him. And for me, that came early on in my journey and formed a platform to work further on the issues. And God does it gently, appropriately, he doesn't drag someone through the process. He guides them. He takes them by the hand. But sometimes forgiveness in some secular circles are things that won't get touched upon. But as a Christian, we know that it's vital. And it comes when God says so. Not when any person says so, but when God brings you to that point. So that's another part of our distinctiveness. And then there's the relationship with God that you may be able to encourage your client in. Now, I have to say that ACC counsellors work with Christians, but the majority of their clients are people who are non-Christians or who have other faiths. So we don't say we're just there for Christians, we embrace anyone that wants support. 
and they come knowing that we are Christians and they come um, into the counselling centres or into the private practice on the understanding that I am a Christian counsellor and your spirituality may arise, it may not, but I'll tell you that I am a Christian. And they say, that's absolutely fine. Or they say, no, I prefer not. I'll distance myself at this point. So people know right from the start about Christianity. So the area of spirituality may arise, it may not arise, but if it does, another area of our distinctiveness is we can encourage people in their spiritual journey or in their faith if they're already on that journey. And then I've left this until last about our distinctiveness, but it's absolutely the most important thing about Christian counsellors. We have a resource that secular counsellors don't have, and that is, it sounds simple, but it's absolutely profound. We take with us the very presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit, and he is our most important resource. And that is so, so powerful. And even if he is never acknowledged in the form of the counsellor says, well, let us pray. That doesn't happen often. But sometimes people say to Christians, I would like you to pray because they know they're Christians, even if they're the client themselves are not. Or if they know there is that Christian relationship anyway, sometimes the counsellor will say, would you like me to pray? And sometimes that happens. And some people say, no, I don't want prayer. That's absolutely fine. But <coughs> I assure you that the Holy Spirit is there because as Christians, we take his presence into that environment, into that counselling room. And Christian counsellors internally are looking to the Holy Spirit. They are trained they are experienced, they are skilled, and they pray. So with Christian counsellors, to coin a term that's banded about these days, you get added value. You get the Holy Spirit as a resource there. And for Christian counsellors, and I know that secular counsellors don't leave their counselling in the room either, but for Christian counsellors, I have heard people say, that sometimes when I'm in Tesco, I'm just thinking about a client and I just begin to pray for them. And they, they hear from that client that that was just a, a really vital time, that they had this uh, particular day when whatever it was happened and the counsellor is encouraged to think, wow, the Holy Spirit just quickened me to pray. And so they pray in between sessions, they pray while they're in the sessions. So the Holy Spirit is there with them. So why do people need counselling? <clears throat> well, we live in a fallen world. And we are made in the image of God, who is perfect. And when you look at yourself and me, we are not perfect. 
And those broken areas of us need wholeness. And that's why we need counselling at times. Now, I've spoken about, uh, did I? Made in the image of God, a spirit, soul, and body we have. Now, those three are inextricably linked. You can't separate them. Like we can't separate our faith when we're in the counselling room, it's implicit. We can't separate out these three things. Although we have definitions, we know the body is what you see, we know that the spirit relates to God and that our soul is our mind, will and emotions. But we could not live with just a body and ignore the other two. Our spirit will live on, but our spirit couldn't sit on a chair here. So they're not independent. They are dependent one upon the other. But because they are dependent on one another, they also feel impact one from the other. Okay? So, just think of a time when you've experienced something which impacts your body, your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and your spirit. And I'm sure if you think of an instance, it hasn't just affected one. It would affect two, maybe all three. My example of this is, um, well, one of my examples is when I was very, very depressed, I I had migraine before I was depressed. But when I was depressed, its intensity was so many percentage worse. And uh, I had migraine about every eight days for three and a half of those days. And then I'd have a little break of four, five, six, maybe, days. And I'd have another three and a half days. And um, it was very, very debilitating. And it put me to bed. And uh, my children would sort of peek their head around the door when they were a lot younger. And the youngest one in particular, I think it frightened him to think that his mum, who was always up and about and fairly capable was now laid absolutely flat, couldn't do a thing, couldn't lift my head off the pillar without needing a bucket. And on exploring what this was all about and on medication for it, I was only just beginning to understand some of this journey I was going on and some of the impact on me. And it was another one of those tentative times when I thought, I'm going to ask this question, and it may be silly. And I was at the doctor's and I said to the doctor, do you think that emotional pain can be felt physically? And she said, oh, yes. And a jigsaw piece slotted in and I thought, yeah, I'm journeying through the emotional pain and I'm feeling it physically. And what came with it as well, when I was in such intense pain, was despair. I was just in utter despair because of the pain, because of the uh, inability to do anything, 
the extremeness of it, it just caused me to despair. So it affected all of me. I was demonstrating physically the pain I was feeling emotionally as part of my soul and spiritually it put this blanket of despair even tight around me. And that's what can happen. I, begin to e I began to experience, when I was seven, uh, irritable bowel. And that's quite unusual for children. But when I was an adult and I was beginning journeying and exploring what had happened to me, it came back and I recognised it. And I thought, this is the same pain I used to have when I was seven. What's this all about? Another trip to the doctors? Well, you do know that irritable bowel can be tied in with emotional things. And another piece of the jigsaw slotted in. So we're complex. We are broken. And we need counselling at times in our lives to help bring those pieces together so that we're restored and brought back to that place. We will never be fully in that place, but being brought back to that place of made in the image of God. We'll never be fully there until we see him and we're with him. But we're on a journey of restoration. There are wrong assumptions sometimes, which again are unhelpful for people. And those wrong assumptions are sometimes about sin. Well, you must have sinned. You'll read in the Gospel of John how when the blind man um, wanted his healing, the question was raised, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Wrong question. Jesus isn't looking to see what sin you have done. And will I heal her or not? Because look at that sin. But some people assume if there are things happening to you, if you do have a mental illness, if you are suffering a breakdown, well, you must have sinned. It's a wrong assumption that people shouldn't make about us. We're just reading at home through the book of Job. What a very, very depressed man. What a very depressed man. And, you know, we, we sometimes disparage those men that were with him. But, you know, in the beginning of Job, they were excellent. Because it says that they sat with him. And I think it was for seven days. They didn't say a thing. They just sat there. I think that's a great example of support. I really do. I have a friend who, uh, she's a Christian, but from a Sikh community. And um, when they have a bereavement... And they, they've recently had a, a, a close bereavement. And everybody comes to the house. And busloads of people turn up for the funeral. And the people who are bereaved in the home are expected to talk about it, 
about what happened, how much they loved the person, memories about what they did together, how they died. All of these things, they're encouraged because people keep coming to the house and coming to the house and every time a new person comes, you tell it again and you tell it again and people just sit there and listen. How wonderful is that? How therapeutic is that to be able to tell your story? It's amazing support. We do live in a fallen world and we are broken because of it. God's ideal was for us to be raised with two loving parents who would nurture us, educate us, love us unconditionally, look after us. I would guess that there is no one in this room that's had that perfect, ideal upbringing. Where parents have not, not purposely, but where parents have not done something that have brought some impact, some damage into our lives. That's God's ideal, that we should have this loving, perfect, supportive home in which to bring children. But because sin entered the world, the reality is very, very different. And we all suffer things along the way, some uh, more difficult than others, but each in our own lives, we say things are all relative, aren't they? Each in our own lives equally important and of equal impact in that we have to deal with stuff. It's not helpful when we say to ourselves, minimising, it's called, isn't it? Well, you know, I really should pull myself together because it wasn't that bad after all. And, and when I think of other people, oh, there's a lot more worse people in the world than me. Sometimes when we minimise things, it's not helpful to get to the real issues and to let God into those issues to heal them. So the aim of counselling is to restore people to wholeness. Counsellors act as a catalyst. They're there to help the client move on, to change, to grow. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes the Holy Spirit accelerates the work. But they're there as a catalyst, almost like a middleman bringing the Holy Spirit into the situation to say, here is my client. God, help me. Give me the strategies and help this person grow and move on. They're communicators, helping people to understand the impact on their lives, helping them to understand why they feel like they do. And they can help communicate some of that. And they also act as a conciliator at times in relationships because if you as a person are growing into wholeness, that will impact other people. It will impact in your family, in your home, in your wider family.
You know, we've heard a little bit today about church. And um, my church didn't know what to do with me. I got to the stage where I was only going to church on a Sunday morning. And to be honest, I don't know why I bothered doing that. And um, I would go into the meeting and sit and cry all the way through and go home, feeling worse probably than when I went in. And uh, you know how you go through life, going, people say, yeah, you all right? You say, yeah, I'm fine, thanks, and move on. Because you know, actually, that's what people want to hear. Because if they say, no, I'm absolutely rotten, and, and I'm, actually, I've had a suicidal week, <laughs> put them on a wobble. And I thought to myself, this is not true. I am not living in reality here. I am struggling as a Christian with this weight and this pit I'm living in, and yet I'm going, yeah, I'm fine. Going and sitting down and crying all morning and going home and not speaking to anyone. So I came to the point of, I'm going to be honest about this. And doesn't it shake people? So you walk into church and people say, are you okay? Shake your hand. No, I've had a rotten week. And you go the next week, oh, it's worse this week. Some days I would just lie on the sofa all day, getting some energy back from seeing the children off to school, and then I need some more energy, so all morning I'd recover from the morning, and all afternoon I'd try and store up some energy for them coming in. And that's all I was doing. Rotten week. And the more I told them it was rotten, the more they began to wobble, really, and said, we, we just don't know what to do about it. We don't know how to help you and support you. And to be honest, it felt supportive in that they were saying that. At least they weren't saying, we'll pray for you, sister. Come to the front and we'll minister to you. I've seen very few people who have been prayed for that have been, well, I don't know of any. That's the truth. I don't know of anyone who's come to the front and been prayed for and their depression has gone out of the door forevermore and they're a changed person. And I think in God's graciousness, he takes us on this journey so we understand about it and he gives us strategies as we journey so that <clears throat> if we have that um, predispos predisposition of depression, then we've learned about it. We've learned some strategies to cope for the next time. God helps us in that. I think that, you know, it's almost like a child learning, learning its boundaries, isn't it? If you just said to a child, you can do whatever you look like, you know, they'd go, ooh, ooh, I don't know what to do first. And that's the same with us. God takes us on a journey so that we do learn strategies. <clears throat> And so prayer is helpful, prayer is supportive, but prayer is not all the answer. We need other things. We need God to illuminate and help us with our understanding. So I think churches are getting better. And sometimes it's strongholds, isn't it? We've talked about, you know, a Christian counselor can acknowledge that there is evil that has been at work in the world and there may be a stronghold here and there may be some specific prayer that's needed. So there's a whole host of reasons why Christian counselling is different.
It's amazing the power of forgiveness. And so I forgave this man. And within a fortnight, I knew that there was a change in me. I knew the power that it held was something beyond what I understood when I said the words. To me, there were, there were words that I knew I'd got to say. I found them very, very difficult to say. And then I just thought, okay, I've done it. You know, there were no great thunderbolts from heaven saying, wow, you have done so well, and now I'm going to take you from that pit and you're going to live happily ever after. In actual fact, nothing happened as I thought. Within a fortnight, I knew that something had changed. And what had changed was my levels of anger. They'd gone down and down and down. They weren't completely gone. There was some residual anger hanging around. And my husband and I, sometimes at difficult points when he knew that I was getting uptight and I was going to be really angry, he had hoarded and gone into the cupboards and looked. He'd got cracked or chipped plates and mugs. And I would go to the bottom of the garden and throw them at the wall. And he would come sometimes in support and throw with me. I mean, had I have started that with the whole well of anger in me, I'd probably broken the wall, never mind the cups. But it dealt with the, the main of my anger and that whole volcano that I'd been sitting on that I couldn't express to anyone as a child. I couldn't... Um, tell anybody what was happening I couldn't tell them how upset I was and I didn't know I was upset because I covered it all up and carried on business as usual went to school did what I could do underachieved but thought I was doing okay and just carried on and no one ever knew but the whole of my life I was sitting on this whole well of injustice and anger at what had happened and when I forgave, God said, let's take that out. And then help me to deal with the rest of it appropriately. And now when I'm angry, I can say, I'm angry about this. I'm not tapping into this, this whole area of, I feel so angry about everything and everybody in the world. No, I'm appropriately angry about this. I can express my anger and then I move on. So God is very gracious. God treats us as individuals. We are very, very precious to him. His love for every one of us is absolutely amazing. And that's a whole other story for me, learning about the love of God and how he loves me. I know God so loved the world. I know that. But I'm sure God doesn't love me. And so that was another journey I had to experience how God loves me. And I assure you, if you're in that place today where you're not sure about, well, does God love me uniquely? Am I special to him? Just let me tell you that you are. And if you don't feel it today, I'm sure he'll give you that experience at the right time for you to demonstrate your specialness and his love that he has for every one of you. We're nearly up to the break, but let's have one or two questions. Okay, from here, there's a mic coming. I might not be able to answer. 
We're not in the business of answers always, are we? <laughs> um, I had a question about forgiveness. You've talked quite a bit about forgiveness. Yes. Um, and I, I read a magazine, I don't know if that was off your stall, um, and just, just during the lunch break, and it was talking about forgiveness and that um, forgiveness without repentance can put the focus and sometimes extra guilt on the, the victim or the person that's been hurt. And there was a question about whether or not that was appropriate when the person had never repented. And so my question is sort of about that. And I wonder whether there's a time when it's just never going to get to a place of forgiveness. Are you talking about the other person knowing that you've forgiven them? No, right? no, just about within the person themselves. If they feel like from Christians that they, they're supposed to forgive and that's what's expected of them and God in, yeah. in time will bring you to a place of needing to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I remember sitting with a man when I used to work for a church who'd been in a Japanese prisoner of war camp and right. seen things that had been done to him and yeah. his friends and he said to me, he said, I will never ever forgive them. Um, and he was very determined about that. And mm -hmm. I said, I said, I can understand that. And I wonder whether or not that's how Jesus felt on the cross. That sounds weird, but Jesus' earthly ministry, he spent all this time forgiving sins himself. He said, I forgive you your sins. And on the cross was the only ever time he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I wonder why he didn't say, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. That was the only time that he said, Father, and I wonder whether or not there are times in people's lives when the hurt is too great, we have to say, God forgive them because I'm really struggling too. I'm sure mm -hmm. that that could be the case. And we can hand that to God and say, I can't do this, but will you do it through me? And forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. We start by saying, I'm going to do this. I didn't feel anything at the time, but I did it. And subsequent to that, I've had to forgive several more times, and each time it's easier. And I know, you know people talk about the layers of the onion. If you cut an onion open, you see it's got layer after layer after layer after layer. I hope I'm down to a pickled onion, and that I'm not a Spanish onion anymore. Um, and it does get easier, but I think initially, you do have to sometimes say, I am going to do it as an act of my will. I feel no emotion about this. And actually, I don't want to. But I will forgive because I know, God, that that's your will for me. And for a man to say, I'm never going to forgive, I can understand the reasons behind that. And it's only God that brings us to the place of going, I will forgive. God, please help me with it. And we don't know what time in his life that may be. And it might be, as you say, as Jesus did it, in his last breaths, Father, will you forgive them? It might be for that man in his last breath. Because God is so much more gracious than any of us, isn't he? So much more gracious. And I'm sure he'll give him the right time to do it at some point. And don't despair because you hear people say it, oh, I'm never going to forgive them. Don't despair. It's God's job. What's just come to mind for me is, if you can forgive other people, how do you forgive yourself? Mm. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the truth, and that is what you need to apply to your life. You have to walk in. There is no condemnation. And the enemy will put condemnation and guilt on us, and the scripture tells us there is no condemnation. It isn't from God. 
God doesn't come with a big whip and say, you are guilty of this and that, and uh, you know, you've got unforgiveness in your heart. There is no condemnation from him. He will convict, but he doesn't condemn you. And that little voice will say, you need to forgive yourself sometimes. And it's ourselves we bring the condemnation on us, or the enemy brings it on us. But the scripture is the truth. There is no condemnation to you. A lady in the back in the red jacket. Uh, keeping with forgiveness, I do believe um, there's the 70 times 7, yeah. and it's not uh, just about one, uh, probably the same thing that somebody's done to us, but we look at it at different, by different angles from different angles yeah. and uh, have to come at the forgiveness from different angles. And yeah. I did like the bit of when you said uh, God's timing is completely different to ours. Yes. Because we don't know yeah. when that's going to be. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Two down here. Lady on the front first. I'm still puzzled about the forgiveness because if the Japanese people don't repent and the man who hurt you doesn't repent, God finally will not forgive them. So in a way, you are being asked to do something that God himself won't do. Is it just for your benefit? It can't benefit the man. Does it just benefit you? I think God in his mercy sometimes benefits that other people, uh, that other person. But I have never spoken to this guy since I've forgiven him. Uh, and in fact, he's dead now. He died in prison, which was a whole other story about, ooh, I put him in there and now he's dead. Um, and, and it is for us because of the release that God brings to us. And those other people are God's business. Now, if they don't repent, that's because, you know, God has provided a way for them. And we don't know, like the, the Japanese man, uh, the, the, the guy that was um, abused by the Japanese, we don't know what happens in their hearts and in their last moments. But as long as I do what God tells me, they are his business. And it does release me and it does benefit me. I was just thinking of uh, the book by Corrie Ten Boom yes. called No Hiding Place. Yes. And I think I'd recommend that that book be given yes. to that man. Yes. Then he would understand. And a lot of you, I'm sure, know yeah. about Corrie Ten Boom yeah. being faced with her persecutor and how it was a struggle for her to put out her hand and shake his hand. There's a lady down here with the purple jumper. It's just a simple question, really. Where do I go to find a Christian counsellor? Phonus. We have, <laughs> we have what's called a find a counsellor service. And um, on our website, you will find our accredited counsellors. So go to find a counsellor on the website or Phonus. And we will look up the next person in the line. So we have area coordinators who know more closely people on the ground within their region. So we will pass you on the next number. And um, anyone can use that. Christian, non-Christian, member of the public, member of a church, absolutely anyone can use that. Uh, we're into the break. One last question. The lady over there with the glasses. 
and I will be around if you want to talk. Thank you. Um, my question is just slightly different to that one before in that um, how do you become a Christian counsellor? Um, I, I just wish I was the same. Oh, well, God bless ours is both the same question. Yeah. Um, I, I've been to college, as quite a few people do, um, and gone through courses up to, say, A-level standard, um, but not gone as far as a um, diploma. Okay. Because while in that sort of time, um, I felt like God was, you know, talking to me in, in a way of how counselling can be different. Because whereas in, I got to the stage where obviously you, you would normally say something about um, your Christian be beliefs or, or where you are at this mm, time. So, mm. Okay. Uh, on the ACC stand, leave me your email address and we'll send you an information pack, Okay. Now, the other thing combined with that question is about regulation. Now, anybody who's a counsellor and wants to hear about regulation, please feel free to stay and I will talk to you a little about regulation. If other people want to go to the break, that's okay. So do feel free to leave. But for people who are counsellors and want to know about regulation, that lady speaking about training, become as highly accredited and as highly qualified as you can because in 2011, a national register of counsellors will open. We're almost certain now it'll be 2011. If you're accredited with your professional membership body, you are most likely to get on. If you are not accredited yet, work towards becoming accredited or become part of the voluntary register of Christian counsellors, which again, you can phone us about. Because if you don't get onto the National Register on the day it opens in 2011, you will either have to grandparent through at the cost of £420, or you will need the level at which they set the standard. It may be higher education, but we don't know yet. So become accredited or on the voluntary register. <laughs>